Well, good morning, everybody. You can uh, make your way to your seats. If you didn't know, that was some 80s white heart. Um, it was bringing some flashbacks back to me of when I used to work out back in the 80s and 90s. And uh, like early 90s, when I became a Christian, I would lift weights and I'd listen to like Christian rock, heavy metal. And, uh, and that's what I listened to when I lifted weights, which was hilarious. And uh, it reminded me too, because we went to the IU baseball game yesterday. We got some free tickets. And so we went to the baseball game and it was 80s and 90s night. And so like all the players had to pick an 80s or 90s song to come up to listen. You know, that was their, it, it was like I was having flashbacks. And then I come this morning, Jason's playing 80s rock. I'm like, man, I feel like a kid again. Okay. Anyway, we are in our new series uh, in First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles. One of the things you need to recognize about this series is there's a lot of repeat, right? So there are things that are repeated in Second Chronicles that are in First Kings and Second Kings and back and forth. And so we won't cover everything because a lot of it's repeat stuff, but I'll try to go over a lot of it. We'll try to go through a lot of it and kind of lay some things out for you. You can read those books. There's a lot there. Um, and... The title of our series is In the Lord's Sight. There are two terms, as you work or read through these books, there are two terms you're going to see over and over again in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 2 Chronicles, those three books. And you're going to see the word in the Lord's sight. And typically, God is talking about in the Lord's sight as it relates to the people. Like this person, this king did what was good in the Lord's sight. This king did what was evil in the Lord's sight. It's mentioned, I think, almost 75 times in the two books. The other term you'll see that's mentioned almost 75 or more times is the word, the high places. Okay? The high places. And so we were struggling with which title we were going to go with. And in the end, we recognized the fact that the reason that the people of God created these high places to try to get close to God, which he never asked them to make, we'll see that through the series, is because they couldn't understand what it meant to be seen as God sees them in the Lord's sight. And so they would create these ways of worship and high places and these things God never asked them to do because they were trying to get in good with God, to get in his sights, and that's what we do today. Instead of just obeying him and doing what God asked them to do. And so our series will be in the Lord's sight. This morning, we're going to talk about the first thing that you would talk about if you're talking about in the Lord's sight, and that is the heart the heart. See, we know scripturally that the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? You can't understand your own heart. You don't know why you do what you do half the time, right? You go, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Because you have a wicked heart. So do I. We all do. And so we're going to see in this first section as the kingdom is passing from David to Solomon that you see these heart issues start to come out in the people of God. They've always been there, but especially whenever there's a change of leadership or whenever leaders fail, it's amazing how the hearts of people rise up. We see that in our nation today, do we not? We're starting to see the hearts of our people. We're, it, it's hard to not expose what you believe and where your heart is on issues because it's so polarized, because that's what happens in our culture, because our hearts are so wicked above all else. Also, we know that the Bible says that from the heart, everything else flows in life. 
from the heart, everything else comes out. So when we look at what we do in our actions, which we'll see this morning and we'll look at in Kings, all the actions that are happening are simply an overflow of these kings and these people's hearts and the way they want to be seen by others, by God in his sight. Or how they don't care what God sees in his sight. They just want people to see them a certain way in their sight. We also know that the Bible says that God wants to give us a new heart. The Bible says in Ezekiel, he wants to take a heart of stone that we have and turn it to a heart of flesh. So God wants to change the human heart, which we can't even understand, but God does and God can change it. And we see that all the way through the book of Kings with all these evil kings. The majority of the kings are so wicked and evil. There are just a few times in this long hundreds of years history of these kings that like you get a king that isn't just wicked and evil. Matter of fact, the northern kingdom, which we'll see later, that splits, never has a king that did what was right in the Lord's sight. The entire time they had a northern kingdom nation, not a single king ever did what was right in the Lord's sight. Not once. Because they wouldn't go back to do what God's law said about worship in Jerusalem. They created their own way of worship. Their own way to seek God. Their own high places to try to get right in God's sight. And we still do the same thing today. And so this morning I'm going to have to back up just for a second and walk through a couple of things, because you have to understand that we're going through a transition. We've gone through Moses. He leads the Exodus, leads the people out of slavery. We've gone through a time of now the judges, the people got into the promised land. They had Joshua, but then there's a big mess and all that happens. And so God raises up judges because the people won't obey God and the land that he's given them and the promises that he's given them. So these judges come along and you got the whole book of judges and it says that everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. And then as a result of that, we see them now moving into a king will fix our problems. Does that sound familiar? We just need the right ruler. If we get the right guy in place, he'll fix it. This is not a new problem. This is an ancient problem that we keep falling for. Instead of just saying, you know, the only person that's ever going to make things right is God. Period. That doesn't mean I don't need to make decisions about leaders and, and those types of things. But I cannot trust that they're going to fix anything. God has to fix the human heart. Law cannot fix the human heart. Only a relationship with God can. The law is there, the whole Old Testament, to expose how wicked your heart and my heart are. That's the point of the law. That's all it's good at doing. It is not good at changing people, but it's really good at showing people they need to be changed and they can't change themselves. And we keep repeating the same patterns. And that's exactly where we find ourselves. So in the Torah, in Deuteronomy 17, God gives a prophetic vision. He tells his people, they have just been delivered out of slavery. Moses is leading them as the leader and prophet of the nation. And God prophetically has Moses write this. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you to take possession of it, live in it. And say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. See, God never wanted them to have a king. There's a lot of things that you have that God never wanted you to have. He allows you to have it. If you have it, he's going to ask you to use it the right way or he's going to get rid of it. But there are a lot of things that you have. 
Israel was never supposed to have a king. And God says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get into land. You're going to get comfortable. You're going to see all the problems and the wars and the battles and the issues. And you're not going to want to fight. You're not going to want to do the right thing. You're not going to want to do what the word says. And you're going to say, you know what? We just need a person, a Messiah, but not God, another Messiah that will come and fix everything for us. Because that seems like all the other nations have it going just fine. They seem like they're doing great. And so if I can just find the right leader, the right pastor, the right church, the right, the right, the right, all the problems will get fixed. And God says, that's exactly what you're going to do when you get into the promised land I gave you. Now, prophetically, someday we're going to go to the promised land if we know Jesus Christ and we've made him king of our lives. And you know what we're going to do? We are going to say, we want a king who will be the king of kings and Lord of Lord over all nations. (laughs) We won't be like the nations. All the nations will come under him. And so Moses basically prophetically says this, and look at what he says. You are to point over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He says, I don't want you to have a king, but you're going to want to have a king. So I'm going to give you what you want to teach you a lesson. Have parents, have you ever done that before? Sure, have it. Go ahead, see how that works. See, didn't work too well, did it? Would you like for me to come rescue you now that you're upside down in a trash can? Just saying. Like, this is how we know we have to learn. This is the only way the heart changes. And then he says, you are to to appoint a king that me, the Lord your God, chooses. Appoint a king from your brothers. You are not to set a foreigner over you or one who is not of your people. However, he must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. For the Lord has told you, you are to never go back that way again. Don't ever do business with Egypt. Don't go back to slavery. Then he says, he must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. God says hundreds and hundreds of years before 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, he prophesies and says, here's what's going to happen. I'm warning you so that you can't deny that I didn't warn you. And this is what God does in our life. He says, I told you. I didn't hide this from you. So now how are we going to deal with it? And then he says, now let me save you. And that's exactly what he does. And he says, look, if you don't do this, what's going to happen is you're going to have kings that come to power and their hearts are going to stray away from God. And their hearts are going to be about wealth and about women. Their hearts are going to be about peace with other nations and unity with all the people. That's what their heart's going to be about. Their heart is not going to be for me. Their heart is not going to be to say, I need to be sure the people and myself are right in God's sight. They're just going to try to be right in the world's sight. And the reason you want a king is because you want to be like everybody else. Many of you in this room, the reason you want a wife or a husband is because you want to be like everybody else. Does God want you to have a husband or a wife? It's not wrong to have a husband or wife. It's a good thing, the Bible says. It's a great thing. It's an awesome thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing. You see, we always want to just insert, and God knows this is where your heart's going to go. And he says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be with you, but man, it's going to be tough. Look at what he goes on to say. When he is seated on his royal throne, this is Moses, hundreds of years saying, when he's seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of the instruction for himself. That's the law. On a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. He has to write it himself. Not the scribes. 
the king has to sit down with all the priests and scribes watching him, and he has to write his own Bible in front of them, his own copy with his own hand, and keep it with him, it says, and he is to read it from it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction and to do all these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or the left. And he and his sons will continue ruling for many years over Israel. By the way, I'm giving you all this and what needs to happen, but I don't want you to have a king. But if you get a king, here's how it's going to have to be. God does the same thing we'll see later in this series in the temple. God never asked his people to build a temple. Never did. He said he was going to build a temple for them. And the people said, yeah, we got to build a temple. And David saved up tons of money, gold and silver. David saved gold and silver. And he got a lot of chariots and horses to protect the building of salt. But he's not supposed to store up. Oh, but see, David had a bunch of wives and he stored up. That's why I don't listen to David. That's why I want to kick him. He's off the throne. He's not the king of me because I'm smarter than David. I got this under control. And God says, don't do that. You wanted this. This is my man. This is who I've anointed. Don't do it. Now, this whole anointing thing gets really confusing in our culture because everybody wants to declare pastors anointed and don't touch God's anointed. Last time I checked, I'm not a king, Okay. I'm a countryman with you. I'm not supposed to exalt. Leaders aren't supposed to exalt themselves above their countrymen. We got a lot of pastors that love to exalt their lives above, above their church members. We got a lot of pastors who will preach about homeschooling and that homeschooling is the only way to educate your children, all the while while their congregation can't stay home with their kids because guess what? The congregation is paying their wife to stay home so they can homeschool. How about you give back some of that money so your congregation can homeschool? See, that's messy, isn't it? It's messy to take these stances of these absolutes and not have some grace and think through, wow, we live in Babylon. We don't live in the promised land. This is messy. And man, is 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles messy. He goes on and he says this. Later, Samuel, after the time of the judges and the prophets, this is what Samuel says. This is the prophet Samuel. 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel are written by this guy. Talks about the life of David and the kings of Israel. It says, then they said to him, Samuel, look, you're old. I love it when that happens. This is totally what happens in almost every culture. Oh, he's old. We got to get rid of the old people. Get him out. We young people, we got to figure it out. We know what we're doing. We know how to change things. Just move the old people aside. You go die. We're good. And the old people try to cling to power because they don't want to give anything to the young people. They don't want to raise them up. They don't want to turn it over to them. They don't want to entrust them. And we still do it today. Do you realize in the Old Testament, a, pre a priest could only serve until the age of 50 and he was forced to retire. And you couldn't serve as a priest in the temple until you were 30. You had a 20-year service. That's it. And the reason for that was so that old guys had to raise up young guys and young guys couldn't lead until they were ready to lead. It's a genius strategy. He goes on and he says, look, you're old and your sons do not follow your example. Samuel was not a good father. He was really busy in the ministry, but he didn't raise his kids to love the Lord. Therefore, appoint a king to judge the same, uh, us the same as all the other nations, the people said. When they said this, give us a king to judge us, Solomon considered their demands sinful. He was like, you know, 
So he prayed to the Lord, but the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. I knew this was going to happen. I warned them in Deuteronomy. This whole next three books we're going to study is all about this. I'm trying to show them something. They won't listen. And then he says, they are doing the same thing to you that they have done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, abandoning me and worshiping other gods. They are constantly abandoning my plan because it's too hard and you ask too much and blah, 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 and they'll chase anything else that'll give them what they want and fulfill their desires. They've been doing this all along, Samuel. This is just the next step for me to show them Moses wasn't the best prophet. You need a better judges than the judges I sent you, and you need a better king than the kings I'm getting ready to write about. That's Jesus. And that's the point of the book. It's the point of the Old Testament. You keep trying to find a savior somewhere else, and they keep failing you. You think marriage is going to save you? <laughs> you are in trouble. Marriage kills you. That's what it's designed to do. Sanctifies you. It doesn't save you. It sanctifies you. And sanctification is a beautiful and wonderful and glorious thing. I am so thankful for the sanctification that God gives me to make me more like him through my wife. I am so grateful for her. But she isn't my savior and I'm not hers. Jesus is. He goes on and says this, listen to them, but, always look for the but in scripture, you must solemnly warn them and tell them about the rights of the king who will rule over them. This is what we have stopped doing with the gospel in our day today. We tell people just accept Jesus as your best friend. You just accept him and he'll love you. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And if you accept him, he has rights to your life. Period. And that's what these three books show. You go down this road of saying, Jesus is my king. He's your king. He's also your friend. He's also your lover, but he is a king. And we have pulled him off of his throne and made him like one of us. Instead of seeing that he wants to make us like him. That's the beauty of this. And he says, you got to warn them. they got to understand that this whole king thing, they don't just get to pick and choose their king. I choose, they submit, God says. Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who are asking him for a king. He said, these are the rights of the king who will rule over you. Read the list. I'm not going to read it for you, but basically you're going to be slaves. You have to do everything he says. He's going to put your sons and daughters in war. He's going to kill them. He's gonna, like, and you, you have to deal with it. If you go down this path of accepting this and saying, I do, and your forefathers went down the path of saying, I do, then you do until I say you don't anymore. That's what God says. He goes on and says, when that day comes, when you're tired of that king ruling over you, he's a tyrant, he's took you into wars, he's caused curses, he's not following God the way you should. When that day comes, you'll cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves but the Lord won't answer you on that day. I told you. I, I told you what was going to happen. Like, you want an answer I can't give you because I've already given you an answer. So you want me to change my answer? There's no change in the answer. I gave it in Deuteronomy. I gave it in Samuel. I've laid this out for you. Then he goes on and he says, the people refused to listen to Samuel. 
No, they said. We must have a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations and our king will judge us, go out before us and fight our battles. And welcome to the modern gospel and why people leave their faith in Jesus all the time. Because they accepted Jesus, who they think is their king, not he's the king. And then when he doesn't fight the battle the way they want him to fight it, when he brings judgment when you read the word and tells you to stop doing something and brings people around you, when he doesn't go out before you like he thought he was going to go out before you and give you what you want, you kick Jesus to the curb and you chase another high place. You chase another God. You try to get good with God in your own in your own sight in his sight this is the message that Samuel warns and they go down this path we want to be like everybody else do you know how often churches are doing this we, we got to be like everybody else we got to be like Disney World we got to we got to make it fancy you know we, we got to make it comfortable for people the gospel isn't com- getting a king seriously this is not going to be comfortable if you get a king it's going to be very uncomfortable for a long time Because he has to show you how wicked your hearts are. And they're like, no, we're not listening. Who do you think you are, Samuel? You raised two terrible children. We don't want to listen to them. We don't want to listen to you. And you know what? God said we could have a king, so we're going to have one. Okay. Great. You want to be like everybody else? You can be like everybody else. Samuel goes on and says they picked their first king. There was an influential man, a Benjamin, named Kish, son of Abiel, son of Zeor, son of Barakoth, son of Aphiah, son of, of a Benjamite. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. There was no one more impressive among the Israelites than he. He stood a head taller than anyone else. This is exactly how we select people today. Oh, he's tall and he's handsome. Oh, she's beautiful. Look at her hair. See, they selected the king they wanted. They didn't ask God. They went looking. Well, God told me I could pick one, so I'm going to go pick a king. Didn't pray about it. Didn't seek the counsel of God's people. Didn't seek Samuel's counsel. Didn't, no, we're just going to go pick our king. We can figure this out. No, you can't. Your heart is deceitful above all else. You will deceive yourself every day and every day and every day to get what you want. That's how deceitful you are. That's how deceitful I am. We need people in our lives that take us to the word of God, remind us of what God said, and said, don't deceive yourself. And so they put Saul in charge. Saul's a disaster. You can read it. It's a mess. He's a disastrous king. Why? Because you picked him. Then it goes on. The Lord then says, okay, I'm going to pick a king. And he picks David out of nowhere, a shepherd boy who's no one, and brings David. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at David's appearance, or I'm sorry, David's brother's appearance or stature because I have rejected David's brother. This is going further. See, man does not see what the Lord sees for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. You see, God was looking for a king who knew how to protect sheep. Who was willing to lay down his life and fight lions and bears and tigers, oh my, for sheep. Dumb, filthy sheep. There's a reason why God calls us sheep more than any other reference in Scripture. Because they are used to clothe people and to be slaughtered for sacrifice and meat to eat. 
and they are really stupid. They wander off, they kill themselves regularly, and if you don't trim their hair, they get caught in things and get eaten. They have no natural defense. Sheep have absolutely no natural defenses. None. They are the most easily preyed animal on the face of the planet. God says, you're my sheep. Ah. Ah. Can we different reference maybe? Maybe I'm a fox, you know, maybe I'm a lion. No, you're a sheep. And David protects them. God's like, that's my kind of king who will protect those that can't protect themselves, that will protect what those that give themselves to others. That's my kind of king. Saul wasn't that kind of king. And then he goes on and he says, so Samuel took the horn of He finds David, he takes the horn of oil, anoints David in the presence of his brothers. Well, that had to be awkward. Like the younger brother comes in and anoints him, and then they're like, okay, go back out to the fields because that's what we know happened. And then the brothers go off to war. And it says, and the spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. God had his heart. Was David perfect? No. He struggled but God had his heart. So now you fast forward to 1 Kings 1. Now David was old and getting on in years. Although they covered him with bedclothes, he could not get warm. So his servants said to him, let us search for a young virgin, my lord, the king. She is to attend to the king and be his caregiver. She is to lie by your side so that the lord may, may, so that my lord, the king, will get warm. They searched for a beautiful girl throughout the territory of Israel. They found Abishag, the Shumanite, And brought her to the king. The girl was of unsurpassed beauty and she became the king's caregiver. She served him, but he was not intimate with her. Probably because he was old and couldn't be. Because David had a woman problem. And David's advisors thinks it's a great idea to give David another woman to have a problem with. David already has women, we'll see in a moment, that could have come and laid with him and kept him warm. And instead, they bring him a new young woman. The Bible says, do not leave the wife of your youth. We'll see in a moment that God, David's left all of his wives, and now he needs another woman. And you know what his son sees in that? His son sees 700 wives and 300 concubines later. He goes on and says, Abijah, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, kept exalting himself, saying, I will be king. He prepared chariots, cavalry, and 50 men to run of Hebron. Uh, what did Deuteronomy say you're not supposed to have? But his father had never once reprimanded him by saying, why do you act this way? Sound familiar to our day today? Won't discipline our children? Why do you act this way? You're not going to be this way? We're not going to do this? David didn't do this with his other kids either, and they ended up killing each other. One of them tried to overthrow the throne in the story of God. Be careful that you don't end up like this. In addition, he was quite handsome, and he was born after Absalom. Absalom was the most beautiful of David's son. He's Absalom's brother who was killed. So it's like, oh, he obviously is the next one to take the throne. He's the beautiful, wonderful Son. He conspired with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abathar the priest. They supported Adonijah, but Zadok the priest, Beniah, son of Jehoda, Jehoada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, 
Rai and David's warriors did not side with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fatted cattle near the stone of Zoleth, which is next to Enrogel. Seems like, wow, he's got all this entourage. He's, he's got it all together. The, he's got the right people. He's got the commanders and the people on his side. And Except for this priest and Beniah, the guy that killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day. That's that guy right there. That's Beniah. And Nathan the prophet, that's kind of an important dude you should have on your side. But in other words, Adonijah has everybody on his side that won't tell him no. He knows these other guys will challenge him and tell him, no, I don't want those guys. They're not invited. I want the yes people on my side. It goes on. And it says, he invited all the royal brothers and all the men of Judah, the servants of the king. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the warriors, or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, have you not heard that Adonijah, son of Haggith, has become king? And our Lord David does not know it. Now please come and let me advise you. Save your life and the life of your son Solomon. Go, approach King David and say to him, my Lord the king... Did you not swear by your servant, your son Solomon is to become king after me, and he is the one who will sit on my throne? So why has Adonijah become king? Why are you allowing this? Do you even know this is happening? At that moment, while you are still speaking, Nathan says, with the king, I'll come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went to the king in his bedroom. Stop for a second. That's humiliating. I'm going to go to my husband who possibly forced me into adultery with him by bringing me into his bedroom and killing my former husband. And now I have to go before him and bow before him and there's going to be that woman there when I get there. See, God takes authority seriously, and he takes our response to it seriously. Do we believe that God is the one, or do I believe that I have the rights, and I take matters into my own hands, and I fix things, and I, 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 I? He goes on, he says, since the king was very old, Abishag the Shunammite was serving him. Bathsheba bowed down and paid homage to the king. Gosh, what humility. She should have drove a dagger in the king for what he'd done in her life. Then he says, what do you want? She replied, my Lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, your son Solomon is to become king after me, and he is the one who is to sit on my throne. Now look, Adonijah has become king, and my Lord the king, you didn't know it. She doesn't go in accusatory. She goes in and assumes maybe you don't know. He has lavishly sacrificed oxen, fatted calf." cattle and sheep. He's invited all the king's son, Abathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army, but he did not invite your servant Solomon. By the way, Solomon's name means peace. That's where we get shalom. You didn't invite the one of peace, you invite the warriors on your side. Now my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, but tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise when my lord the king rests with his fathers, I and my son Solomon will be regarded as criminals. At that moment, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived, and it was announced to the king, Nathan the prophet is here. He came into the king's presence and bowed to him with his face to the ground. 
This is Nathan who confronted David about his sin with Bathsheba. And he's bowing to David. If anybody is the one that goes in strong and proud and be like, I got a word for you, David. I had a word for you before. I'm going to give you another word. It's Nathan. And instead he approaches with reverence and awe, realizing my people said yes to a king. I got to deal with it. And he goes in humble. When he has a word for the king, he's trying to save the nation. And he bowed with his face to the ground. My lord, the king, Nathan said, did you say Adonijah is to become king after me and he is the one who is to sit on my throne? He doesn't, he doesn't accuse him. He doesn't say, you said Solomon and now it's not Solomon. He goes in, he says, now I'm just making sure I got this right a long time ago. Did you say Adonijah? I didn't think you did, but I'm just checking with you because you're the authority. I'm not, I'm just a prophet, right? For today he went down and lavishly sacrificed oxen, fatted cattle, and sheep. He invited all the sons of the king, the commanders of the army, and Abathah the priest. And look, they're eating and drinking in his presence, and they're saying, Long live King Adonijah. Adonijah. But he did not invite me, your servant, or Zadok the priest, or Benaiah, son of Jehoda, or your servant Solomon. I'm certain my lord the king would not have let this happen without letting your servant know who will sit on my lord the king's throne after him. King David responded by saying, call in Bathsheba for me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king swore an oath and said, as long or as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every difficulty, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, your son Solomon is to be king after me. He is the one who is to sit on my throne in my place. That is exactly what I will do this very day. Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground. She is standing before the king. And when he gives this word, she's not like, yeah, She's like, oh my, this is huge. I need to bow. This is not a right I have. It's like humility. I can't believe this is happening. Thank you. And then he says, Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king and said, my lord, the king, David, live forever. My lord, the king, who took me from my husband, who killed him, who the Lord forgave, who caused a miscarriage in my life, who didn't discipline your children well, which is why I'm having this problem in the first place. I recognize that God desires that we live forever. Eternal life is his goal, and so that's what I want for you. Wow. What a woman. Nathan the prophet, Beniah. King David said, then call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Beniah, son of Jehodah, for me. So they came into the king's presence. Then the king said to them, take my servants with you. Have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. This is exactly what Jesus did when he rode in on a mule. You see, how's Solomon riding in as king? Where's the chariots? Where's the gold? Where's the silver? It's just a donkey, a mule. Put him on my royal mule. What? Well, didn't you want to throw a big party? Nope, just put him on the mule. Send him in. 
Then it goes on and he says, Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet are to anoint him as king over Israel. You are to blow the ram's horn and say, long live King Solomon. You are to come up after him. He is to come in and sit on my throne. He is the one who is to become king in my place. He is the one I've commanded to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Amen, Benaiah son of Jehoda replied to the king. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, so affirm it. Just as the Lord was with my Lord the King, so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. You see, these people that are around David are incredibly loyal. They still call out sin. They still deal with issues. But they are incredibly loyal because they understood what God said in Deuteronomy and in Samuel. Then Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehada, or Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down, had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the ram's horn and all the people proclaimed, long live King Solomon. All the people followed him, playing flutes, rejoicing with such a great joy that the earth split open from the sound. God caused an earthquake to shake in Israel at this moment to say, I'm in this. The people are rejoicing. The other people, they're fattening themselves up. They're eating. They're filling their druthers. There's money flowing. There's all kinds of other stuff. They're trying to make sacrifices and thousands of cattle to God. And Solomon's on a mule with a bunch of people singing. That's us, folks. The power of God dwells in the praise of his people. Not in your gold, not in your silver, not in your chariots, not in your horses. Not in your buildings, not in your stuff. It's in the praise of God's people. So there's one king that's beautiful, wonderful, looking good man. I mean, has everything. Look at all the stuff in the entourage, and he's got the commanders, and he's got the armies. And there's this gift guy on a mule, which a bunch of flute-playing singers. You're like, but he didn't cause an earthquake, but he, that did. goes on, it says, Adonijah and all the invited guests who were with him heard the noise as they finished eating. Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn and said, why is this town in such an uproar? Oh, be careful when you ask questions, because you might get an answer. He was still speaking when Jonathan, son of Abathar, the priest, suddenly arrived Adonah just said, come in, for you're an excellent man, and you must be bringing good news. You're my positive thinker, right? Like, you, optimism, it's wonderful. Like, obviously, everything's going great for me right now. Look at everything that I have going on. He flatters him. Flattery is, man, watch out for flattery. Watch out for people that won't tell you the truth. And watch out for people who give you the truth without having a heart and a mercy for God goes on and it says, Unfortunately not, Jonathan answered him, Our Lord, the King David, has made Solomon king. Do, do, do. And when Solomon the king has sent Zodak the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoda, the, Cler- the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have had him ride on the king's mule. Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. They have gone from there rejoicing, and the town has been in an uproar. Um, that's the noise you heard. Solomon has taken, has even taken his seat on the royal throne. The king's servants have also gone down to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, may your God, 
Make the name of Solomon more well-known than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed to worship on his bed. Oh, my goodness. King David, old man, can't get out of bed, can't stay warm, is literally getting out of bed before the people, before everyone, and saying, I'm bowing to this king. That is a picture of us. We get the right to be co-heirs with Christ. And when we get to heaven, you know what it says we're going to do? It says he's going to put a crown on us. And he's going to say, thank you, well done, good and faithful servant. And then there's going to be singing. And when the singing breaks out, you know what we're going to do? We're going to bow down, we're going to take our crowns off and throw him at his feet. Revelation spells it out. David is modeling this. He is bowing before his son saying, this is the one, I I, I surrender now, I'm done. The king bowed and the king went on to say this, may the Lord, the God of Israel, be praised. Notice he doesn't say, may my son Solomon be praised. May me, King David, and all I've done in raising up my children and doing such a good job, may I be praised. He says, may God be praised in this. The people are praising God, that's what I want to hear. The other people are partying for their king, my people are singing praises to God for theirs. Then he goes on and he says, Today he has provided one to sit on my throne, and I am a witness. We are a witness of the one who sits on the throne. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus. We are called to be his witnesses, to bow before him and call others to bow. He goes on and he says, Then all of Adida's guests got up trembling and went their separate ways. Interesting, when you're following the wrong guy, when things break out, typically everybody scatters. Because they were in it for what? The party, the benefits, the wealth, the fat sacrifices. And now that the real king has showed up, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he got up and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. It was reported to Solomon, look, Adonijah fears King Solomon. He has taken hold of the horns of the altar saying, let Solomon first swear to me that he will not kill his servant with a sword. He knows he should be killed for his rebellion. Adonijah knows I'm dead. You want to know why he knows he's dead? Because he knew he would have killed Solomon had he been given the chance. Because that's what Bathsheba said. King David, if you don't step in, he's going to kill me and he's going to kill your son Solomon. See, he exposes his heart. David didn't say he would kill him. Why didn't he run to David and ask his forgiveness and say, I thought I was supposed to be the rightful king. I'm so sorry, I didn't know I wasn't. No, no, no. He ran to God to use God for his protection. He didn't run to the king who had the authority to kill him. And we do the same thing. We will run and try to use God to protect us and give us and whatever else, but sometimes, and it'll pop up, we'll be exposed Because our heart will show, swear to me that he will not kill his servant with the sword. Why didn't you go and ask him? Why why are you clinging to God when you weren't clinging to God before? Using him as a crutch to get out of a bad situation. And he goes on, Solomon said, if he is a man of character, I love this. Man, what a good response. Okay. He knows I can kill him. Well, if he's a man of character, not a single hair of his head will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he dies. That's it. Like, prove it. I'm not going to kill you. See, that's not the kind of king I am, Solomon says. That's that's not why I've come to the throne. 
but I do have to judge as a king. We agreed to that in Deuteronomy and Samuel. And so he says, look, if he's a man of character, let him go away. He can go. He can go about his life. That's fine. If he's a man of character, he'll live. It'll be proven that he has eternal life. It'll, God will work it out. And if not, he's going to get killed sometime for his stupidity. We all die some way. And then he says, so King Solomon sent for, for him, and they took him down from the altar. That had to be hilarious. Come on down. I'm not coming off of here. No, Solomon wants to see you. I know he wants to see me. Like, no, come on. You know, they're taking him down off the altar. Like, you won't come down. They take him. He came and paid homage to King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your home. I'm not looking to kill a bunch of people. I might have to, but that's not what I'm looking to do. Chapter 2 says, as the time approached for David to die, he instructed his son Solomon, as for me, I'm going in the way of all the earth. Be strong and courageous like a man. Man, what a word from a father. Son, my time is coming to a close, and you need to be strong and courageous like a man. But what is a man? What is a woman? We don't know anymore. I'm very grateful that David answers it here. He says, A man keeps their obligation to the Lord, your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and ordinances, commands and ordinances and decrees. This is written in the law of Moses. In other words, a man knows the law. A good king writes the law out himself, keeps a scroll beside him, memorizes it, reads it all the time so he can make the right decisions. Deuteronomy. So that you will have success in everything you do and wherever you turn. And so that the Lord will carry out his promise that he made to you. You see, men, real men, aren't looking for the promises of this world. They're looking for the promises of God. Real men look for the promises of God, not the promises of this world to find their worth. Same for women. That's what they look to. David says, if your sons are careful to walk faithfully before me with their whole mind and heart, there it is again, hearts, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. And God never failed to not have a son of David on the throne because he still sits on the throne this day, Jesus, the son of David. And even though they failed miserably and they weren't careful to keep his ways, God was still faithful to his way and his covenant. That's the kind of God we have. That's crazy. Because I am not that way typically. But that's how God is. And you know, we find out later that Solomon does a good job with his mind of following the Lord. But as we read in Ecclesiastes, what happened to Solomon's heart? It turned away from God. He followed God with his mind. Or tried to. But when he comes to the end of his life, he just sees the wickedness of his heart. And he's broken. Goes on to say, as you know, what Joab, son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of Israel's army, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether, he murdered them in a time of peace to avenge bloodshed and war. He spilled that blood on his own waistband and on the sandals of his feet. Act according to your wisdom and do not let his gray head descend to Sheol in peace. Show loyalty to the sons of Barzilla, the Gilead, and let them be among those who eat at your table because they supported me when I fled from your brother Absalom. Keep an eye on Shimei, son of Jera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, 
He gives real specific who this guy is. <laughs> there might be a couple Shimei, not this guy. And then he says, who is with you? He says he's with you. Uh, he uttered malicious curses against me the day I went to Mahanam. Do you realize that at the end of Paul's letter, he does the same thing? That at the end of Paul's letter to Timothy, he writes about these are the people you can trust. These are the people you can watch out for. These are the people to pray for. These, like that is actually an appropriate thing we should be doing in the church. And we've been told if we do that, we're judgmental, we're intolerant, we're mean. No, Paul didn't do it because he was mean. He did it because he wanted to see people saved. Now, if you're doing it because you're mean, and no, it's because you want to see people saved. You want to give them an opportunity to repent like Solomon gives an opportunity and God gives an opportunity to repent. That's the point of this. And so David is like, hey, you're going into your kingdom. You're young. You don't really know what you're doing. Let me just give you some advice about some people you can trust and can't trust. People to keep watch out for. And, like, and he even recalls things 20 years ago. And it's like, yeah, that happened way back when, and I'm still not sure where that guy stands with me and with God. And we think, wow, that seems very judgmental. No, it's called wisdom. Just be wise, shrewd as serpents, innocent as doves, the Bible says. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, and I swore to him by the Lord, I would never kill you with the sword. So don't let him go unpunished, for you are a wise man. You know how to deal with him to bring his gray head down to Sheol with blood. You see, there is no forgiveness or remission of sin without the shedding of blood. They didn't have Jesus' blood shed, so you either had to sacrifice for that sin on a regular basis, and the, or you had to shed your own blood. David is saying these guys weren't willing to shed blood for their sins. I said I wouldn't do something to them, but they don't seem to really take it seriously, the blood that needs to be shed for their sin, and so they need to be confronted with that. There are a lot of people who do not take seriously the shedding of Jesus' blood for their sin, and they need to be confronted with that. Because we love them. Because they will go to Sheol and they will not be ready to meet God. Then it says, Then David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The length of David's reign over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron, 33 in Jerusalem. Solomon sat on the throne of his father David and his kingship was firmly established. You think, oh, and everybody lived happily ever after. No. Now Adonijah, son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba. This is sometime later. Remember he said, I want to see what your character is, and if your character's good, you won't die. Yeah. Character flaw right here. Solomon's mother, she asked, um, do you come peacefully? Are you, you coming here to bring a problem? Oh, no, no, peacefully, he replied. I, I just want peace. I want everybody to get along. I just want everybody to be happy. And then he asked, may I talk with you? Can we, we have a private conversation about something I'm concerned about that I've seen? And he goes on and he says, go ahead, she answered. You know the kingship was mine, he said. All Israel expected to be, be king. Well, that's a lie. You start with a lie. You start with a false premise and a lie. Like we both assume the same thing, right? We got the same assumption. This is, this is how it works. No, we don't have the same, no. However, Bathsheba, look, she lets the lie go, just like Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say you would die? Oh, surely you won't die. This is how we fall for stuff. Then it goes on, it says, so now, look, 
But the kingship was turned over to my brother, for the Lord gave it to him. Oh, okay, it's okay. So he, he acknowledges that the Lord gave Solomon the kingship. That's a good thing. I'm, okay, good. And then he says, she said to him, go on. He replied, please speak to King Solomon since he won't turn you down. Solomon was a mama's boy and that wasn't good. Solomon could never stand up to women, which is why he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Goes on, it says, let him give me Abishag, the Shumanite, as a wife. Oh, you mean David's other woman? What? Like there... There's a whole kingdom of millions of women. And he wants this one. Strange. You couldn't find one at home? You had to come here and find that one? Like I told you, go, like what? what? Very well, Bathsheba replied. I will speak to the king for you. Oh, bad move. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him about Adonijah. The king stood up to greet her, bowed to her, and sat on his throne. And had a throne placed for the king's mother next to him. God never said to do that. God never said to do that. So she sat down at the right hand. Then she said, I have one, just one small request of you. That's always how it starts. Just one little thing. And then it says, don't turn me down. Don't, don't turn me down. There's a song about that. Okay. And then he says, Go ahead and ask, mother, the king replied, for I won't turn you down. Oh, mom, you're the best. I love you. So she said, well, let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to your brother Adonijah as a wife. King Solomon answered his mother, why are you requesting Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Since he is my elder brother, you might as well ask the kingship for him, for Abathar, the priest, and Joab, son of Zariah. Like what you're doing is you, you, want me, you, you want me to give him to the, to the last wife, so to speak, of David, this woman. You want, why is he asking for her? He can have any woman he wants. Why her? And why did he come to you? See, Solomon's smart enough to put the pieces together and realize that Adonijah is trying to position himself for power, authority, and position. He could have went home and just served God and lived out the rest of his days in peace. And instead, he's got to manipulate and get in there and serve and show off and make alliances. And that's what he's doing. And Solomon's like, oh, I see right through that, Mom. I know you don't, but I do. See, you were deceived by my father, David, and you went in that whole problem. I'm, yeah, no. Then Solomon took an oath by the Lord. May God punish me and do so severely if Adonijah has not made this request at the cost of his life. Solomon sees right through it, and he's like, if I'm wrong, then may God kill me. But I am, I am positive that this is what's going on. And now, as the Lord lives, the one who established me, seated me on the throne of my father, David, and made me a dynasty as he promised, I swear Adonijah will be put to death today. I gave him a chance. I said, if you prove your character, you're safe. And now you've proven your character's awful. You're gone. By the way, Solomon has this right because he's king. Just like Jesus has the right to do this because he's king. And the people agreed to this kind of kingship. This isn't mean. This isn't judgmental. This is what everybody agreed to. And then he said, Then King Solomon gave the order to Benaiah, son of Jehoda, who struck down Adonijah, and he died. The king said to Abathar, the priest, Go to your fields 
in Anatoth, even though you deserve to die, I will not put you to death today since you carried the ark of God in the presence of my father David and you suffered through all my father suffered. Again, Solomon showing mercy. You should be dead for what you've done, but I'm going to give you mercy. So Solomon banished Abishar from being the Lord's priest and it fulfilled the Lord's prophecy he had spoken at Shiloh against Eli's family. I don't know if Solomon knew he was fulfilling prophecy, but by obeying God and banishing him, he's obeying prophecy. Man, if you banish somebody in the church today, oh my gosh, you will be labeled as a cult tomorrow. You will be a cult if you banish someone from the church. Why? Why? I mean, I'm not, I mean, we haven't done it. I don't know that we've ever banished someone. There's one person we talked to that if you didn't do this, then we, we're going to have a struggle of you coming. We never told them they couldn't come, but we're like, we're not going to give you discipleship. We, we can't pour into you, and we're going to keep telling you the same thing until you do what we asked you to do. And the simple thing we asked the person to do was to be on medication. That's it. And there's a long story to that of why we chose that as the option. And they couldn't do it. Because they knew God was going to heal them. They could control it. They were going to make it happen. And you doubt. You don't have enough faith. And other people have told me, that's fine. You can come here, but we're done. It says, so Solomon banished Abathar from being the Lord's priest. And it fulfilled his prophecy. And then it says, the news reached Joab since he had supported Adonijah, not Absalom, but not Absalom. Joab fled to the Lord's tabernacle and took hold of the horns of the altar. It was reported to King Solomon. Joab fled to the Lord's tabernacle and is now beside the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, son of Jehoda, to t- to- and told him, go and strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle and said to Joab, this is what the king says, come out. But Joab said, no, for I will die here. So Bariah took a message back to the king. This is what Joab said, and this is how he answered me. The king said to him, do just as he asked. If that's where he wants to die, then that's where he's going to die. Strike him down and bury him in order to remove from me and from my father's household the blood that Joab shed without cause. Because there has to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin. The Lord will bring back his own blood on his head because he struck down the two men more righteous and better than he without my father David's knowledge. With his sword, Joab murdered Abner, son of Ner, commander of Israel's armory, and Amasa, son of Jether, commander of Judah's army. Their blood will come back on Joab's head and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David, his descendants, his dynasty, and his throne, there will be peace from the Lord forever. Benaiah, son of Jehoda, went up, struck down Joab, and put him to death. He was buried at his house in the wilderness, then the king appointed Benaiah, son of Jehoda, in Joab's place over the army. And he appointed Zadok, the priest, in Abathar's place. Then the king summoned Shimei, Shimei and said to him, build a house for yourself in Jerusalem and live there. But hey, don't leave there and don't go anywhere. Just stay, okay? Don't go anywhere else. On the day that you leave and cross the Kidron Valley, know for sure that you will certainly die. Your blood will be on your own head. Shimei said to the king, the sentence is fair. I agree. Isn't it amazing what we'll agree to and then later go, I don't agree. That's what all these people have done. All these people agreed to certain terms, then they disobeyed the terms, and now we read it and we go, oh, that's so harsh. No, 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 it's not. They agreed to the terms. Joab agreed to the terms when David said you could live and didn't kill Joab. They've all agreed to these terms. This isn't God saying, I'm going to do this to you. This is God offering mercy. You accepted the mercy and grace, and now you have terms to serve out that mercy and grace. And if you don't, God has the right to take you home to be with him. It's just simple. 
And we should know that because it's the way the rest of the world works. These are the terms. If you don't obey the terms, they're going to throw you in prison. They're going to, they're going to execute you. Like, don't disobey the terms of being a human and obeying the law. He goes on and he says, The sentence is fair. Your servant will do as the Lord the King has spoken. And Shimei, I lived in Jerusalem for a long time. But then, at the end of three years, two of Shimei's slaves ran away to Achish, son of Maka, king of Gath. Shimei was informed, look, your slaves are in Gath. Now, if you know if you leave, you're going to die, and you know two of your slaves left, what are like a thousand other options you can use to find your slaves? You can hire someone to find your slaves. You can go to the king and say, two of my slaves escaped. You can get some family members to go get slaves. You, you, you've got a thousand options that you can use to go get your slaves back or to confront the slaves or to bring the law or the justice. You have one option, one, one option you're not supposed to do. What is it? Go get them yourself. Don't do it yourself. You got to humble yourself to let other people do it for you because you don't have permission to do that. There are things God has told you you don't have permission to do and you keep doing them. And I'm telling you, it's going to cost you. Stop it. God loves you enough to tell you, no, don't do that. And he has mercy on you. Look at what he says. So Shimei saddled his donkey, goodness gracious, and set out to Asius at Gath to search for his slaves. He went and brought them back from Gath. It was reported to Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had returned. By the way, who was from Gath? Goliath. You went to the city of the Philistines and Goliath, the, the worst city you could go to. Oh my goodness gracious. Like that, that doesn't show treachery. You're going to, yeah, I'm just going to go visit Goliath's hometown. You're not even supposed to leave. You can't tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? Tell him, well, I'm the king. I, I mean, I. Then he goes on and he says, it was reported. So the king summoned Shimei and said to him, um, didn't I make you swear by the Lord and warn you saying on the day you leave and go anywhere else, know for sure that you will certainly die? And you said to me, the sentence is fair, I will obey. Did, didn't we have this conversation? So why have you not kept the Lord's oath and the command that I gave you? Like, wh why? Why did you do this? It's not like why, it's like, wh Why? Like, you're forcing my hand. I gave a judgment. And as a judge, I can't now go back on the judgment. I can't write a new judgment. I have to live by the judgment I gave. And if I don't, then everybody, then there's no law. The king also said, you yourself know all the evil that you did to my father David. Therefore, the king has brought back your evil on your head. By your stupid choice, it shows. It shows your heart. Your dumb choice shows your arrogant heart that you can't get others' help, you can't lean on others, you can't find another way, you got to do it your way, you got the answer, that's how you're going to do it, and it's costing you. Stop. But King Solomon will be blessed, and David's throne will be, remain established before the Lord forever. He's just speaking prophetically there, that's exactly what happened. Then the king commanded Benaiah, son of Jehoda, and he went out and struck Shimei down, and he died. So the kingdom was established in Solomon's hands. Now Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Where, where, where are the people of God not supposed to go back to? Thank you. Solomon, what are you doing? 
But she's pretty. She's nice. She really likes me. It's going to be a great business deal. Like the, we've got this figured out. Like the parents all worked this out. It's going to be great. No. They're, they're again, there's a whole nation of women and you've got to go the one I know. Solomon brought her to live in the city of David until he finished building his palace. He literally brought an Egyptian to say, I don't care what God said. I'm going to let an Egyptian live. I'm going to marry. Oh my goodness gracious. And then it says, the Lord's temple and the wall surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places because until that time, a temple for the Lord, Lord's name had not been built. Solomon loved the Lord. Look at this. He loved the Lord by walking in his statutes of his father David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Don't do that, Solomon. The king went to Gibeon and sacrificed there because of the most famous high place. Oh, I got, I got to get to Asbury. I got to get some of that spirit. It's, oh, it's famous. You know, because I don't have the spirit in me, and the spirit just can't come to me through the word by reading on a daily basis and repenting. I got to go get some sprinkling somewhere. What? I mean, I'm not against going and seeing something, but like, what are we doing? Like, this is exactly what Solomon is like. Stop going to the... The high place is you with God in his sight. That's the high place. Why do you keep... Then he goes on, he says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. Uh-oh. He's going to really reprimand Solomon. He went to Egypt, got him a honey, which he wasn't supposed to do. He's sacrificing on the high places. No, God gives him a test. Because this is what God does to you and me. We're doing all this evil because our hearts are wicked above all else. And God has mercy and he establishes these things. And then God sends us these tests over our life to see how wicked is your heart. Is your heart still for me or are you really off? So God sends him a test and God said, hey Solomon, ask. Solomon's sacrificing on the wrong mountain. He's got a woman he shouldn't have. And God's still trying to meet with him, still trying to save him, still talking with him, still caring for his people through him. Maybe that's you. Maybe you wonder if your heart's too far gone. Let me tell you, Solomon offered all these guys hearts that were too far gone. He offered them another chance. And God does the same thing for us until the day he takes us home and we're dead. That's the theme. That's what we see. And so God asks him, he gives him a test, what should I give you? He's saying, Solomon, I want to hear from your heart what you want. And I want to give it to you. What were the people of God wanting? A king. God's like, fine, if that's your heart, you can have it. Now he's asking Solomon, Solomon, what do you really want? What do you really think is going to make you happy? What's really going to fulfill you? Wealth, a wife, successful career, a position of power. What is it, Solomon? What do you want? He's testing his heart. And next week, we're going to see the answer that is given. You see, we need a new heart. We need a renewed heart. How do we get it? You have to go to the king. And you have to bow. And you have to ask. And he will always extend his mercy. Because that's the kind of king he is. He will never negate his law, his statutes, his ordinances, and his ways. Because to do that would mean he's not God. But instead, he puts all of that self on himself as the king, and he sheds his blood instead of shedding yours. 
And that is a powerful thing. Romans says it this way. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one obey, either of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that although you used to be slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to. And having been liberated from sin, you become enslaved to the right thing now. I want to do what's right before God which results in you becoming more like God, sanctification. And in the end, it results in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. Shimei was killed. Right? Adonijah was killed. Joab was killed because the wages of their sin was death. The wages of their sin required death. You stood up against the authority. There's no other option. You're a treason. You're tra- it's treason. You're a traitor. It's death. And God says, the wages of your sin is that you should be treated like Shimei. You should be treated like Adonijah. You should be treated like Joab. And you're clinging to the altar, thinking you're safe when you should be bowing before the king. But the gift of God is eternal life in the Messiah, who is Yahweh, who is our Yahweh and King. That's where it's at. Romans says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that Christ that is in Christ Jesus. He paid the price so we don't have to. John says, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not like Solomon and David and all the kings we're going to read about. No, 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 no. My kingdom, if it were of this world, my servants would fight that I would be handed over to the Jews. As it is, he says, my kingdom doesn't have its origin here. It's not like the kingdoms of then. I have a different kingdom that's coming and no one can withstand it, but it's not here yet. So you still have a chance to repent because the king hasn't come fully to his throne on this earth. There's still time. Revelation 19, 16 says, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me ask you about your heart. Do you want Jesus to be your king? Do you want to be his slave, a surrendered heart to God? What kind of king does your heart long for? Does your heart long for the kind of king that is like Solomon and just slaughters people when they mess up? Take that. Or is your king like Solomon and his offer of mercy? How does your heart respond to realizing that We have a king and that we are his slaves and that he calls us even his children. See, what's your heart response? Because the heart response of the people recognizing their king, what was it? They put him on a donkey, on a mule, and they sang. They sang his praises. And you know what our responsibility is this week and in our lives and what we're going to do here in just a second? If we recognize that Jesus is our king, what he asks for is for us to praise that he gets all the credit, we don't. He is our King of kings and Lord of lords. And we recognize that no earthly king will ever measure up. We have to submit, we have to live in this life, we have to go through it, but we recognize we desperately need him.
If you're joining online or you're here and if you've not surrendered to your king, do it before it's too late because there's a day coming when that judgment will have to come on you just like Solomon did with those people because he's king. The best part is he hasn't come to his throne on the earth yet, so there's time for you to repent before it's too late. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning that you are our king. Thank you for these words. I thank you for this series that we're going to be going through, and I thank you that you write all the mess. You don't hide back and hide away the truth from us. You allow us to see the hearts of men and the hearts of you through them and the heart that isn't of you through them so that we can better understand our own hearts. Lord, I thank you that your word, the scriptures, are so unique in their honesty and their truth and the reality and their desperate need of a true king that will come one day as our Messiah. I thank you that everyone in the Old Testament, they kept looking for a prophet, looking for a king, looking for a leader, and it kept pointing them to the fact that they need a Messiah. I thank you that you came and you shed your blood so that we could see that you are a different kind of savior than anybody else offers, that you humbled yourself to be exalted. You died in our place so that we could be exalted. What a powerful picture that is. And so, Lord, we get ready to sing, and we sing your praises. If there's someone here who doesn't know you today, Lord, I pray they would bow in their hearts. If they have to bow with their body, great, but at least in their hearts that they would bow to you and embrace you as Savior and Lord and King today. And for those of us who know you, may we just respond with gratitude that we get to be a part of serving you, our great and marvelous King. And may we sing your praises and may the earth split open (laughs) because of the glory and majesty and wonder of who you are. In your name.